Rustin Ralph, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I'm just going to go straight into it. So in a nutshell, what is it that a lawyer does? Uh, hi, Ben, and thanks for inviting me on. It, it's, a, it's a bit of a difficult question to answer because um, there are so many different types of law. And also law is a generic term, right? So it covers three different professions, barrister, solicitor, and legal executive. And what a criminal barrister does every day is so different to what, say, a corporate solicitor does. But I guess... Generally, you'd say, as, as, a, as a rule, a lawyer probably applies their expert knowledge and their skill set to a problem or, or an issue to come up with an answer. It, it, it's not, you know, uh, one size fits all, but generally, I pr probably feel comfortable saying that that's what a lawyer does every day. Uh, and what is it about uh, being a lawyer that I could use or anyone listening could use to kind of improve their life? I mean, it depends what you mean by improve their life, right? <clears throat> um, some people would say thinking like a lawyer will worsen, worsen your life. Why is that? Well, <clears throat> some people think lawyers are very risk averse. Sometimes uh, people think lawyers are scheming. Uh, and and for, from my perspective, that's just, that's just not true at all. But there are definitely some things that lawyers are trained to do and do very well. And... It depends what you mean by improve your life. But if someone was looking for a way to think in a structured manner and get themselves to a place where they could make an informed decision, you'd certainly say, or I would certainly say, that a lawyer's skill set would help. So, so what is that skill set then? Well, so broadly, right? Yeah. Lawyers tend to be faced with a massive information and lawyers are good at absorbing that information, processing that information, and then structuring it in a way so it's clear, so they can turn something complex into something simple. So that's one kind of skill set that's, that's, I would say, lawyers are particularly good at, and, and is helpful if you are dealing with lots of information and lots of variables. But then how do you process it? So if you've got, if you've got this pile of information and it's kind of dumped on you, how do you know which bit to start on? You know, and you still would go home at the end of the day, or get the work done in the time frame. How do you know if I give you tons of A4? Yeah. How would you go? Oh, I need those five bits, and I can connect it, and then do what I have to do. So it's, it's practice, hard work, training, and experience. But fundamentally, you have to start with what are you trying to achieve? You have to have the question in your head to start with. You know, what are you looking for? What is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the issue you've been asked to look at? So that's the first thing. Well, hold on. So. You go in there, so are you, are you trained as a lawyer from the very beginning to think, what is the answer I'm looking for? Are you looking for, to solve a specific question? Yeah. So, do, so how do you know what that question is? Because sometimes the real question is three hours of thinking down the line. How do you know, has someone tasked you with answering this question? So, well, you have to start somewhere. And, and usually, I guess, in a traditional model, you know, a lawyer is given instructions. And that basically means a client comes on and says, listen, I've got this problem. This is what I want help with. So, so that's usually where you start from. But it's true as you look and explore and read and think, especially the more experience you get, you might say, that is an interesting question, but actually looking at this stuff and the problem you've got, the real question is X. So the question can change, but you have to have somewhere to start. 
And I think if, you know, good lawyers, and if I think about my role, right, so I'm a commercial deal lawyer, what I'll do is I'll start with the problem I'm trying to solve or the issue in hand or the question I've been asked. That's the first thing I do. And then I ask really fundamental questions just so I, I park basically the, the kind of question I've been asked. And then I think, what am I doing or, or, or what's happening here? When is it happening? Why is it happening? How is it happening? Where is it happening? I'll ask those big fundamental who, questions. Who taught you? I mean, does every lawyer think I'll ask those, you know, those fundamental, those ones you just mentioned, or is that kind of your approach to the process after the years you've been doing it? So um, it's a good question. I, I think I think most I mean I think most lawyers would. So if you think about the kind of training that lawyers have, I mean, if you think about so you've got kind of statute, right? You've got the law that that you can just read. But then you've got the application of the law in our system anyway, in the common law system, and it's a lot of judgments. So a judge will basically lay out the facts, lay out the issue that they've been asked to make a call on, and then apply the law to those facts. So the way that lawyers structure their thinking probably mirrors a lot of the training they've had, but also the, how the law is done in, 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 in the world today, especially in England and Wales, right? Um, and in most common law jurisdictions. So, you know, the whole point of having, a, I guess, a judge is there are two sides or an arbitrator or a mediator, whatever, that there are two sides, sometimes there are more, and they can't, they, they, can't, they can't get to an answer they're both happy with. So they go and ask a wise man or a wise woman, a judge, and say, listen, this is the issue, this is what I think. These guys come along and go, you know, this is, I agree this is the issue, or maybe I don't agree this is the issue, but you can usually agree what the issues are. And then you ask for their judgment and they have to apply the law to the facts. So it's a very structured way of getting to an answer. So, so when, when, you're, when you're looking at a problem to solve, are you think, is, is the elephant in the room effectively the judge, or what you, you and the other side anticipate what the judge would say? So, so I mean, I'm not a litigator, I, I started life as a barrister, but there's no doubt that who the judge is, um, especially their, their history, of judgments in similar cases can be a factor. It's not the only factor. L like lots of stuff you know, in life, it's, at the end of the day, it's still a people business in inverted commas. So people and personalities will have a bearing. But you know, if you think about how a, uh, how a lawyer thinks, um, the structure, being methodical, breaking stuff down item by item by item, is the best way, in my opinion, to again get to where we talked about before is the ability to make an informed decision. Okay, so let's go back to that kind of um, that, that situation we have where all the information comes in, and then you had your kind of your, your approach. Was it how, why? Yeah, I asked all the big questions. Okay, but, that's but step I, one. Yeah, I, I think that that is step one. Well, no, even before looking at the information. No, no, no. So um, that's an interesting question. The way I'll do it is so first of all, what's the problem I'm trying to solve, or what's the question I've been asked? That's one. Okay, then I've got this, all this information here and I'll read it. I'll process really? through it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How, how do you process all that information so quickly? I mean, is it, is it, is it an IQ thing or are lawyers, of a, you know, are lawyers trained to process all that information? Because surely the brain can only take so much. I think lawyers probably are. Again, it, it may differ depending on what area of law you're in. But I would say lawyers on the whole are used to processing vast amounts of information. So they're not kind of you know, blown away by the stack of documents they've got to read? Well, it can certainly be daunting. And if you walk into a room and there's like, you know, 
I mean, does your heart? Does your heart? Yeah, does look, one's heart? You've only got to go to the High Court today, right? And go in and see a commercial trial or a tax trial or something, yeah. and you'll see people wheeling in boxes and boxes and boxes of documents. And yes, things are, you know, progressively things are going online, but, mm. but you know, as litigation has grown, there's no doubt that the volume has gone up. So you've got this massive information, you, all these documents, you've got your, your questions that you would traditionally ask in any situation, is that right? Yeah. And then you would do what? And, and, and not, you know, what would I do, or anyone listening, if I were you and I wanted to have that kind of skill set? So you've got that question in your mind or the issue in your mind. You've got a bunch of information. Definitely read it, right? You'd be amazed how many people don't read it. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, in life, I think, you know. What, you just cut corners? Well, I don't think it's cut, cut corners. I think it takes a certain amount of stamina. Yeah, that's um, right. You know, attention to detail. Some people are better at it than others. But as a lawyer, God, yeah. You know, as you get more experienced and you see the same thing over and over again, you probably, you know, that there are, you, you know where certain things may be hidden. Uh, hidden's not necessarily the, the you, right word. But you know the right things to look for, Yeah, of course for. you do, of course you do. But then you know. getting to that point must be an exhausting process where the young guns coming through must have to go through stacks and stacks to know which bits to look for. I think, I, I, yeah, I agree. But I think that's probably the same of any, any job. You know, in the same way as a, as a young doctor will probably check lots of stuff they hadn't, that, that, that they may not check in 20 years' time. Um, a surveyor may do the same, an architect may do the same, a journalist may do the same. So I don't think that's exclusive to lawyers. I think as you get older and better and more experienced, you probably, uh, you can probably work faster and know where to look first. Yeah, okay. But at the beginning, you're not sure. Um, so definitely read everything. And then you've got to go back to the beginning or I go back to the beginning and go, fine, I've got the question, I've kind of read the material, now let's think about this question. Um, and, and say the question is something in a, in a, in a commercial context, um, like, you know, I've done a deal with party X, um, this has happened, I've done this, what do you think could be the consequences of what I've done in law and in the contract? So you have to unpick it. So who's done what? So, so it, it depends so on what it is. The client is saying to you, I've done X. Yeah, I, I've done X or I'm thinking about doing Y or, or whatever it is. I mean, there's so many different ways. But, but I will frame that and then I'll start to ask the big questions. Okay, how has this happened? Why has this happened? When did this happen? How did this happen? And I'll look at it through, you know, really making sure I've got the top basic stuff through in my timeline. head. No, it's, it's not so much the timeline, but t timelines, chronologies can be incredibly important. Um, but it's, it's making sure I have pushed and probed and tested mm. everything I think I need to understand the material. Then what I'll do is I'll spin it 360. And what I mean by that is, if there's another party involved, I'll think, of, I'll think that I've been asked by them. Mm, that's brilliant. And I'll think from their perspective, and I'll think, what are they worried about? What are their concerns about? Why did they do this? Where are they doing it? How are they doing it? What do they want? So, so how do you how do you do that? How do you get information? I mean, you would just kind of anticipate what your opposite number would be thinking. Yeah, you, you just put yourself in their shoes. Is that a common practice? I, I think it, I think it is. I mean, you know, you have to try and think to yourself. I've been asked something by somebody that I'm representing or working for, whatever. Um, and in order to advise them in the most holistic way, you should try and think of it from as many different angles as you can. Look, sometimes you don't have time. Sometimes things are fast, they need an answer quickly. But if you're gonna, if you have a bit of time, 
trying to think of a problem holistically should enable you to get to a place where you can make a more informed decision and give therefore better advice or better options or a better recommendation. And it's no different if you think of business. Again, time is a, is a consideration. But if you think of a business, you think, all right, I'm gonna set up a business. If you wanna be really thorough, and this may be where thinking like a lawyer helps or, or people could take the way that lawyers think about things to help them, you know, there are some people who just rush in, I've got this product, I wanna sell it, bang, and that might work. But if you actually look at the people who do it really methodically, what business do I wanna go into? What are the barriers to entry? How much capital do I need to get started? What's the history of other businesses in this market? What are my competitors doing? Where's the best place to be? Where's the best place to sell? Who's doing that research? The person, the, you. you guys are. No, no, yeah, but I'm just saying, if I was a businessman and I wanted to kind of think in a methodical way, in yeah. the same way a lawyer thinks, those are the questions I would ask. But, so, so, but do you, do, when you've dealt with businesses generally, do they think like that? The good ones do. Is there, is there, are they like a, the top minority? I mean, I don't know, but if I think about one of my MDs here, where I work, you know, he says to me, we win when we're in the detail. So, okay, that sounds fantastic, but more detail on that, please. <laughs> if you think of something very complex, yeah. and again, and, and, and lots of different moving parts, lots of different variables, some stuff in your control, some stuff isn't in your control. And then here comes this big thing called risk. Yeah. You know, risk of stuff not going how you want it to go. The more detail you have, the more thinking you do, the more advice you get, the more experts you get in, the more information you do, and there has to come a time where you cut it off because you just spend the rest of your life just researching, right? And there is that, there is that time. But if you think about it... How do you know when... It's, when it's gut, it's experience, and other times there's factors, deadlines. Yeah, yeah. Nothing will focus the mind like a deadline. Huh. Um, so you're, you're full up with information eventually, aren't you? Yeah, you, you, you certainly are. And there's also comes a point where you can't see the wood from the trees. Mm. And you'll say to a colleague, do you know what? I've gone round and round this 20 times. Can you give me, can you give me a hand? Um, also, good night's kip. What do you mean? Well, like, you know, sometimes you can be working on something, working on something, working on something. You get to a place where you can't get there anymore, or you get to a place where you think you've done it. Um, and if you've got the time, I will definitely, so I'll write my advice, or I'll write my opinion. doesn't matter if it's one sentence or, or, or three paragraphs, and I'll just park it, and I'll look at it the next day. And sometimes you look at it and go, what the hell was I doing? You know? <laughs> Hopefully not too often. Yeah, well, <laughs> It, it does, it's just, you know what it's like. You know, sometimes a fresh pair of eyes, yeah. a bit of kiff, a cup of coffee, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so question, information, process, big questions from your perspective, from the other side's perspective. Get to a position where you feel you, you, you can give an informed bit of advice and then you go from there. And that, that kind of exercise, which is, only, which is how I do it as a commercial lawyer, there'll be different lawyers do it different ways is a methodical way for me to do my job. So, so what, then why is it that so many kind of, why do you think it's that so many kind of power brokers, politicians, uh, people of influence uh, tend to be former lawyers? What is it about, you know, the way you describe the way of approaching things or their version of that? How is that, how does that arm these people with the kind of confidence to be world leaders? I mean, I think, it's a good question, and I'm, I'm not sure there's one answer. And, and it's certainly it's not the case that lawyers, you know, make great politicians or, or necessarily make great politicians or make great businessmen. I think in politics, you know, traditionally in Western democracies anyway, there have been quite a few 
high-profile politicians that are lawyers. I think it's something like half or more than half of US presidents were lawyers. You know, at least three or four of British prime ministers were lawyers and another 10 or 15 of them trained as barristers. I think in Australia it's similar as well. Um, and in politics, it probably helps you being a lawyer, probably for two reasons. One is, if you understand how the law is made, what the process is, you know, what's involved, you, you, you're probably more comfortable around that subject. Because don't forget that lawyer, law, which is like one of the three pillars of, of a democratic um, you know, com, uh, country or system. So if you're, if you're familiar with the lawmaking process and how laws come to being, blah, 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 you're probably less, or, or, or you're certainly, you have more knowledge, so you're probably, it's not as daunting or it's more familiar to go into politics. That's one. The other thing could be a belief in the rule of law. So the rule of law as a concept, again, is like it's a, it's a foundation pillar of, of democratic uh, cultures and societies. And if you are attracted by the rule of law, you believe in the rule of law, politics is probably something that would, would appeal to some lawyers. Not all lawyers, all right? Because um, there's thousands of lawyers. There's something like 100,000 lawyers in the UK alone. Um, but I definitely think there must be, well, I think there must be something in that which draws lawyers to, to politics. You mentioned uh, risk being a big thing, and you, kind of, and you mentioned the MD talking about detail. But if you, if the, if if becoming hyper competent or hyper vigilant involves just boiling it down, getting all the detail in there, detail, detail. How, how do you relax? How do you, like, you know, how do you, how do you sleep? How, how do you turn you, off at night? Yeah. Uh, how do you not make? The problem, the big knot in your head that you're trying to untangle. Yeah. How, how do you make? How do you untangle? Well, how do you put it on hold for a bank holiday? <laughs> Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you work through the bank holiday. Um, I think some people are better at this than others. You know, this compartmentalizing. I personally find it pretty easy to compartmentalize my work and my personal life. Not always. Um, because sometimes, especially if you're on, in a role or in the zone or however you want to describe it, or in the flow, I think that's the, that's the right word at the moment, the flow, then, then it's cool because it's, you're enjoying it. It's not, it's not problematic. It's not, it's, not like an un, it's not like an unpleasant journey. But anyway, but you have to be able to leave your work at the door and live your life because your job is just one part of your life. Some people are better at being uh, at decompartmentalizing and cutting off than others. And there's no doubt uh, some law, you know, lawyers do suffer a lot of stress for lots of different reasons. But, you know, the, 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 the general counsel where I work, you know, said something recently to me, um, which kind of made me go, oh, and relax. God, and it, she said, look, whatever problem is out there, there's always a solution. The only difference is some will cost more than others. And it made me feel... Good. So, so, okay, so, so why did it make you feel good? Because nobody died. This is in commercial law. Yeah. Um, whatever problems we're facing, there will be a way through. There will be a solution. Now, it may come with a big old price tag that we don't want to pay. As in what, you have to compromise and pay money to get the thing through? Or, or you have to change something operationally that's going to cost you a fortune. Or you have to bring in a bunch of people to do it and that's going to cost you a fortune. Or you have to settle something and that could cost you a fortune. I mean, there's lots of different ways. But it's nice to know that 
most of the problems, if not all the problems that we face are solvable. It's just the variable is price tag. And if that's true, that is comforting. There's something comforting about the fact that whatever you're facing, it's solvable. There's something very brave about that, saying, well, you know, you know, don't collapse. It's, 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 you know, there's a price tag. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you mean brave is in? Well, you know, that's, that's, that's wisdom, basically. Yeah, I think that definitely is wisdom. And it's, and it's reassuring because sometimes you can be in a dark place where you think, Jesus, I can't solve this. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to solve this. The pressure's on. But people must, in your, in your industry, must feel that all the time. Yeah, no? co- yeah, yes. But, but there's a big difference between a big, hairy problem that you think you can get somewhere with um, than a big, hairy problem that you really feel out of your depth or you don't really know where to turn and the clock's against you. Now, that's where your colleagues come in, right? Because no man is an island, and I really believe that. Uh, it doesn't matter what discipline you are working collegiately, collaboratively with your colleagues, especially when you're stuck, is, is a great thing. And that's also a pressure release. Um, but, but just going back to something you said about risk, yeah, yeah it's a massive part of being a lawyer. Which, what, understanding that everything comes with a risk that you have to tackle. The concept of risk. Um, so again, if I just talk about my area, right, as a commercial lawyer, um, there are risks that things are going to go wrong. Yeah. And you have to try to think through what those risks could be, identify what you can do to mitigate those risks. You have to think through if those risks hit, so well, first of all, what's the likelihood of the risk hitting? And then second of all, what is the impact? But haven't you got to know about the industry quite profoundly to, to anticipate a risk? It helps, but there are other people that can help you get there. Experts who can... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I work in the tech sector, right? I can, I can have a reasonably high-level conversation with you about some of the tech that we sell, but, but, but that's, again, where you, you lean on other people. So you say to them, you know what? This other side is really pushing me hard on X, and it could be something like a liability cap. And they're basically saying, listen, if this goes south, I want X, and we really, really want to do this deal, but you're really uncomfortable about it because you don't know what the risk is. I've got to deliver Y service by date so you'll go and talk to the techies and you'll say listen this is what they're asking for what are the chances of this going wrong and if it goes wrong how much it cost to put it right and how quickly would it cost to put it right and what is plan b and is there a plan c but aren't people like i don't know no well well, some people are yeah so then you have to ask the question a different way so you have to try and tease it out of them but risk is definitely in my world definitely that we think about a lot likelihood of it hitting impact if it does controls and mitigations. Because the, the, you know, the complexity of the world we live in is only getting worse, which means the risks are usually, or it's, it's not unreasonable to say they're gonna go up. So you have to spend a lot of time thinking about risk. You know, I, I'm talking to you now as someone who's you've been in the industry for quite a long time. Um, but there must have been some very rough, you know, it's a marathon, isn't it? And so, Definitely. you know, there must have been some awful moments, I'm sure, or bits where you, you thought, oh. I mean, what are the kind of hard life lessons that you, you've learned or, or, or tough professional lessons that you've kind of come across? I mean, of course, there have been some very hard moments. Um, most of those hard moments, though, come at like four in the morning when you're trying to close a deal. What? Four in the morning? Well, if you're trying to close a deal and it's late 
and the pressure's on and people are grumpy. Hold on, so you're all in the office at 4am? 4, 4 but in, in a deal, yeah. It's really? Not always, not every deal, but there are some big deals, especially at quarter end. So, you know, people right. want to get deals yeah. done, you know, within their financial calendar. And it's, it's four in the morning and you just, you can't agree on something and you can't see a way through or they've chucked something at you and you really don't know how to deal with it. I mean, and, the, and I've been in that boat and it's hard um, and you, 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 do, you do the best you can. And if you can, you know, th this is where personal relationships are so key, that if you do feel comfortable with them, even though you're against them in inverted commas and Commercial deals are not the same as litigation. Against who? The other side? Yeah, because in a commercial deal, there's usually another party or another multiple parties. But the reality is you, you both want to do this deal. One person wants to buy. One person wants to sell. Yes, there is some trading. Yes, there is a different risk profile. Yes, there's different leverage. And that's with every deal. But most of the time in my world, we have willing partners, willing, willing people who want to get it done. It doesn't mean it's easy. And that, and that can be really hard. I guess the biggest lesson I've probably learned as a lawyer was going from law school into in the real world. Really? Why? Because at law school, you know, you're learning, it's like, I guess, it's any academic, you know, the academic is not the same as real. And when you're at law school, you're learning about the law. And, and you're how different? Well, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, there are more variables in the real world than there are in law school. And, you know, just because the law says this doesn't mean everyone's going to go, oh, yes, sir, that's fine. Of course, we're going to do that. So at law school, you're learning the law, and then you're learning how to apply the law to the facts, like I said at the beginning, and the way that judges do. And then you get in the real world, and there are things you don't know, different personalities are involved, different things can happen, there's politics, there's different agendas, um, people don't play ball, people aren't disclosing all the information to you. You know, there are so many different things that, you know, you can't find the answer in a textbook. Um, and and also applying, you know, basically as a lawyer, the, the law is, is one bit in your kit bag. It's one bit in your arsenal. People skills, you know, there's a concept that's been going around. It's quite a while now, but it's kind of gaining ground in the law maybe the last sort of three, four years about being something called T-shaped, right. the T-shaped lawyer, which is basically the horizontal part of the T is your legal knowledge, your legal expertise, and then the the horizontal, sorry, the vertical part is your, your expertise as a lawyer, and then the horizontal part is, is a broad set of skills. And if you're going to do well as a commercial lawyer, a deal lawyer, a corporate lawyer, and you're going to get on in an organisation or necessarily a law firm, they want way more than just your legal skills. What do they want? They want project management. They want financial acumen. They want risk assessment. They want um, commercial judgment. They want you to be able to get on with people. They want you to be a, you know, an ambassador. They want you to be you know, it, 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 an advisor. It's, so if you have a great legal brain, mm -hmm. That, that's not, I mean, that's not even, that, that's only part of the pie. A large part, but it, only a part. In my world, for sure. Really? For sure. How much of the pie is, is the... Is the, the, the higher up you go, the less law you need to know. Really? For sure, definitely. Why? Because if you go up an organisation or you go up a law firm, I mean, it's slightly different law firm because at the top of law firms, basically, and, you know, not everyone would agree with me, but it's about business. You, you know, you are, it's about sales. You know, you need to bring in work to pay your lawyers to provide their service. So partners of law firms are out there generating business. How? Selling their services. How are they doing that? Well, marketing. You know, most of them have great contacts and loyal clients. But if you're a young lawyer starting out and you're not in it and you want to say, all oh, right, I'm going to tomorrow I'm going to start Ben Wilson, you know, uh, partnerships. 
LLP, you'd have to get out there because there's no point knowing all the law in the world if no one's going to pay you to give them their advice. So you have to go and generate work in the same way as a dentist does, in the same way as an architect does, in the same way as any business does. Mm. And in, in the corporate world or in the in-house world where I am, as you go up the, the, the chain, you, you become, you're a leader. Now, it depends how big your team is, but say the company I work in, you know, the, the lawyer, the group general counsel, is, is the most senior lawyer in the organization. She has a, a, a position, she's a board member. Um, she's advising the board, she's in with the board. Um, and a lot of the big, hairy stuff that comes up, you know, she'll have her lawyer hat on for some of it, but others that she's using her commercial experience, her nails, her diplomacy skills, her ambassador skills, her persuasive skills. So, so really, really, even if you had, you know, an amazing legal mind, some of it might come down to character type, personality sure. type. You might have those the diplomatic skills you mentioned or be able to see the wood from the trees. Definitely. Look, there, there is a role. If you are an expert lawyer, believe me, there are some areas of the law that are incredibly difficult, incredibly complex, and you need to be very, very bright to master them and understand them. And if you're a brilliantly bright lawyer in a very niche area, um, and you're like the only game in town, you're mm. gonna do well because yeah. people will come to you. But there's no point being a brilliant lawyer if you can't get on with people, if you can't talk to people, if you can't empathize or build a rapport, you know, doesn't matter how clever you are. You have to, you, you know, it's a people business. We, we live in a world full of people. So uh, being an expert lawyer is great. And, and maybe actually the academic world is for you then, be an academic mm. lawyer. Um, but in the real world where you've got to get on with people, you've got to turn something complex into something simple. People have got to understand you. You know, you've got to, if you're an advocate, for example, especially in crime and criminal law, um, you've got to be able to persuade a jury. You've got to be, you know, um, you know, advocacy or the art of persuasion, as some people call it. That's a that's a people game. So who do you? I was thinking, who do you respect? But that's the wrong that's the wrong thing. Who do you look at and think, wow, you know that that is, you know, that's some lawyer, internationally or you know or nationally, whatever you want to do. Um, so I guess that there are two answers to that question. The first is. I've been in front of QCs and judges, like law lords, mm. the Jedi Knights. Oh, um, they are frighteningly impressive due to their intellect and their ability to process information and kind of play with it. A lot of what ifs and what ifs, and if you do that, and if you do that. And, and it's just frightening. You know, if you go and sit in court, especially in the House of Lords or the Supreme Court is now, and you listen to these law lords and these QCs sort of talk. And that's what they're doing. It's not a speech. It's not like a movie. Mm. They don't stand up and make a speech. They basically have a ridiculously high-level academic chat. Right. They are incredibly impressive. Are they problem-solving? Yes, they're problem-saving and they're hypothesizing. But mm. ultimately, they're problem-solving because they've been... What do you mean by hypothesizing? Well, because sometimes, sometimes to test something, you might, you might say, well, what if this scenario? What if that scenario? It's, again, it's like probing and looking at it from different angles. Not always. I mean, fundamentally, these people are in, in, in the highest court of the land because they're being paid to be there because somebody wants a decision on something. So it's not a game. It's not an academic you know, exercise for the sake of it. But, but I've sat and listened to some submissions and thought, wow, honestly. That's one bucket. And actually, the other bucket that really impresses me, um, and I don't mean to sound kind of you know, romantic here, 
is the lawyers who work in legal aid. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of lawyers in this country and in many other jurisdictions who are not highly paid. These are not the lawyers you read about in the Daily Mail, big fat cats. These are people who are helping the most disadvantaged in society, mental health, education, housing, immigration, human rights, employment. These are the people who are basically, you know, I talked about before the rule of law, who believe in the rule of law and are helping people usually with something that is the biggest thing in their lives and maybe the biggest thing they'll ever go through. You know, if you're trying to get, if you're an asylum seeker and you want, you want someone to live with your family in this country, mm. it doesn't get much bigger than that. Yeah. Or if you've got a child who's been excluded from so many schools and you're thinking, my God, my child's ever going to get an education, it doesn't get much bigger than that. Mm. So the legal aid lawyers, the guys and the pro bono lawyers, a lot of lawyers do pro bono stuff so they don't get paid. And this is not glamorous stuff, right? This is hard work for not a lot of money. So why do they do it? Because it's a calling, they believe in it. Possibly, they care. Yeah. Um, they have they have maybe different values. They're certainly not in it for the money because they're not making any. Um, you know, one end of the legal spectrum, you do have people who are doing incredibly well. The top silks in commercial areas, shipping, tax. You know, uh, areas where there's a lot of money kicking around is the way you're going to find the lawyers and money. And big equity partners of big city firms. You know, the top five. Uh, top 10 firms, they are doing really, really well. But that's one end of the spectrum, right? That's like saying, you know, acting, you make a fortune because you talk about Brad Pitt or you talk about Russell Crowe. But think of them, how many thousands of actors are the other end of the spectrum. And law is no different in the sense there are the fat cats that you read about in the paper and then there are the people who are working day in, day out for not much, really hard, challenging on a shoestring, helping people that don't have much and some of them have all kinds of challenges. Those are the lawyers that impress me. But so, so but those people who, who are making money as, as, as lawyers, um, for better or for worse, going back to your T-shirt, is it the T-shaped, the T-model? The, the, the T-shaped lawyer, yeah. So, so why doesn't a T-shaped lawyer go, wow, I've got these skills, I, I, I can go and open my own business, non-law related, or does the ability to... Constantly look for a risk, make you a less effective business person. It could, it, it could be. I mean, I don't know. Um, it's a really good question. Basically, are, do lawyers make good business people? I mean, there yes, are plenty of lawyers. Yeah, so there are plenty of lawyers that have left the law. I mean, there's even, there's even books about leaving the law. And there's plenty of miserable lawyers who think, well, what, what am I doing here? I don't, know whether, I, don't, I don't know whether they're suited or not. I don't think it's possible to, to make a, a sweeping kind of judgment on lawyers. I think, I think if you want to have a skill set that enables you to think about things holistically and in depth in order to put yourself in a position where you think you can make an informed decision, thinking like a lawyer will be helpful. Whether that's conducive to business, who knows? But if I go back to what I was talking before is, you know, good businessmen will think of all those questions, size of the market, what's my product, what are my competitors doing, what are the barriers to entry, you know, where should I set up, where should I not set up, what should I not but set up? But don't you say to some people who aren't, don't the Lord say to some people who aren't that, that thorough, mm. and so kind of, you know, their, their personality type is just like, 
you know, both feet in, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and don't, aren't they horrified when, when lawyers come back to you? But have you thought about X, Y, and Z? Some probably are, yeah. And you, oh, my goodness. Uh, and that's where the people thing will come into it, right? So there, there are some people I work with where I know I can give three paragraphs. And there are others who are like, if I give them three paragraphs, they're not going to read it. Really? Sure. You know, these people are getting hundreds <laughs> of emails a day. They've got loads of stuff going on okay, all the time. And, if, and they're going to open it and go, oh, my God. So they're either going to not read it and do what they want anyway, or they're going to go to somebody else. So too much detail. Um, yeah, God, yeah. Like we, we train our lawyers and coach our junior lawyers here all the time. Enough with the three pages of advice. Nobody has any time to read three pages of advice. But actually, I'd be quite grateful for three pages. I really thought it was three pages. Goodness. You, you might be, but not if you had 650 things to do every day. Yeah, fair enough. And there were another 300 people giving you their advice about other stuff. You'd be like, no. What do you want? A paragraph? It depends what it is and depends on how serious it is. But I will definitely send... I tend to do a kind of, depending on what it is, but if it's something that deserves a lot of attention, I'll do a, I'll do a sentence or two as a summary. So I'll go in summary, bang, and then I'll do an underneath in detail. So I give them really? the- Really? So you get basically a headline of some sort. Exactly. So I give them the chance. So I'll say, look, I think this is all right. But I think this is all right. There's a couple of things that are probably quite tricky that we should look at, and I'll work with someone to get them sorted out. So for you, on the whole, it's probably cool. And then I'll give them way more detail if they want it. Because sometimes they do want the detail. I don't understand with some lawyers. Sometimes when, you, when they give you the answer, they're so confident and is, is the confidence, I'm like, how can you be so confident about that? But is it because they've thought it through to the point where they're like, yeah, I'm, I can't look at any other angles now. This is basically what it is. <laughs> that's a good question. I think that's personality types as well. I think, you know, some people have this inner belief and inner conviction to think their way is the right way. And other people are constantly looking for external kind of recognition. That may be a part of it. Also experience. You know, if you've done this, if you've yeah, done this 50 okay. times before... You say, look, I've seen this. Now, nobody's bulletproof, right? There's nobody in the world. There's no law in the world. I mean, I think there's one American guy, actually, who's never lost a case. Really? Which, yeah, I think, <laughs> I can't remember his name. But as a prosecutor and a defender, um, I can't remember his name. But I did. He's never lost a case? Apparently, he's never lost a case. How old is he? Uh, yeah, he's not 21. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know how old he is, but he's, he's an experienced lawyer. Wow. But I think that's the, you know, like the devil's advocate, right? That guy never lost yeah, a case. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's rare. Everybody makes mistakes, yeah. but I think if you're experienced and you know your stuff and you know the patch and you've done your homework and you've thought it through, then... That's really interesting. Everyone makes mistakes. Of course they do. Of course, you're meant to make micro mistakes. That's how we all Well, learn. even massive ones. Or even massive ones, but... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bad time to make a mistake in the middle of a deal. There's never a good time to necessarily make a mistake, but what can you do, right? You're only human, you know, you, I always say to my team, I run a team of deal lawyers, I say to them, look, you know what I care about when you come to me with something? I care that you've thought it through and you believe that's the right answer, because that's the best I can hope for. If you've thought it through and that's the best answer, and that's the answer you think is right, and whether I put you in front of me or the CEO, that's what you would give, what more can you ask for? So finally, my final question, what would hyper-competence in your industry look like? I mean, for me as a commercial lawyer in-house, it probably looks like a general counsel. So, so just to explain, sorry, I've been talking about it. Um, the general counsel is the name of the most senior lawyer in, a, in an organisation, okay. generally. It, it would look like a general counsel who's got a seat at the board, who, um, who the C-suite, so the CEOs, the chairman, the CFOs, um, 
don't feel comfortable making big decisions without his or her input. That she or he is someone that is always consulted about big decisions, not just legal ones, big commercial decisions, strategic decisions, um, and who leads a team who are equally respected in the different layers of the organization. I think if you're a lawyer in a business and the bosses um, actively seek your opinion and respect your judgment and don't feel comfortable making calls without you, I mean, that might be a bit extreme, but you get what I mean. But that's a sign of your hyper-competence. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, a lawyer at the table who's respected, trusted, um, and has a team underneath him or her that has the equivalent and the different layers of the organisation. But, but, but finally, how have, how have they earned that trust? What is it they're doing? Is it they just constantly deliver the right bit of information or advice at the right time? I think it's probably different for different organisations, but fundamentally track record of delivery track record, yeah. you know output is such a big thing as in well you've got to be able to show what you've done you've got to be able to measure what you've done you know uh, if you have a track record of delivery if you have a track record of not always getting it right because nobody does but doing what you say you're going to do nine times out of ten or eight times out of ten giving an informed reasoned well thought through opinion People like, people respect, people get on with, um, over time, have good people skills, have other skills in their arsenal, um, and have delivered time and time again on the big stuff. You know, believe me, that there's, you really find out what people are made of, lawyer or not lawyer, when the pressure's on and you're in the dark stuff or you're in the trench or you're at war. And, you know, if they come through that, um, that's how they build that. You know, you will never... To really get close to people, I think you have to go through some, some crappy stuff with them. I think that will build a deeper relationship than if it's always, you know, happy times. Brilliant. Well, Russ and Raoul, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute honour having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you.